the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Let's go to the booth for a review. Welcome to the Challenge Flag Podcast, where we put your fantasy season under review. Coming off the heels of week six, it was a very, should I say, uneventful week in the fantasy landscape in the sense that people didn't really score any points this week. So we're looking ahead to greener pastures and greener grass in week seven. RJ, did week six give you the warm and fuzzies or did it leave you out in the cold like everyone else? I think it was a, a nice week for the underdog. We saw a lot of underdogs overcome the odds this week in the NFL. We got the Steelers over the Bucks. We had the Jets winning again. We had the Ravens losing to the Giants. It was just a weird week overall in football. I think that goes from fantasy to just the actual football teams in general. We even had the Eagles beating the Cowboys. Like, what type of world are we living in? Not one that I want to live in if that's going to be the result every week. Well, with the very few studs that we did have, we'll go ahead and cover each of our studs and duds for the last week. I think it was a lot easier to pick duds this week than it was to pick studs, but I'm going to go ahead and name my stud of the week the same player that I picked as my play of the week in week six, and that is Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre Stevenson finally got a chance to step into the workhorse role in New England with Damian Harris going down to injury. Everyone thought that perhaps Ramondre Stevenson would see a lion's share of the carries, but would still be splitting that backfield in New England because that's the Bill Belichick way. However, looking at how the last week shook out, it looked like Ramondre Stevenson was the only player on the field for New England besides, of course, Bailey Zappi, the next Tom Brady to be. Ramondre Stevenson put up a very solid stat line in week six with 19 carries for 76 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Not to mention the work that he got through the air where he had five targets and made good on four of those for only 15 yards, but in a PPR league that still goes a long way for an extra 5.4 fantasy points on the week. My dud of the week is another running back who was fortunate enough to take on the lion's share of the work in another backfield because of an injury to the starting running back earlier on in the season, and to this point in the season, we've seen him put up pretty healthy numbers and that's Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson has had a really, really solid start to his lead role in the backfield in San Francisco. However, this last week in a game that looked prime for Jeff Wilson to explode in and deliver a very, very solid fantasy performance, he very much under-delivered and left all of his fantasy managers not only underwhelmed, but definitely out in the cold and probably lost a lot of these fantasy managers their weeks. So the lead running back in the Kyle Shanahan offense had seven attempts for only 25 yards and zero touchdowns, not to mention he put the ball on the ground in a very crucial spot in the game that definitely hurt San Francisco, and I don't know necessarily that it's going to hurt Jeff Wilson's role moving forward, but it definitely hurt his fantasy line for this week, and it probably, like I said before, cost you your week if you started him. RJ, who are your studs and duds for week six? Yeah, first off, I have to clarify that if you listen to anyone who tells you to start Jeff Wilson Jr., you just you need to reevaluate your life. I'm saying this, of course, because I said to start Jeff Wilson Jr. last week, so apologies there. It was a really weird week for San Francisco, but I'm not I'm not gonna make excuses. I messed up. Messed up on that one. 
but we'll move into my stud, and that is going to be Dion Jackson. You might be asking yourself who, and you wouldn't be the only one. Jackson probably wasn't on too many people's radars before last week's games. In relief of an injured Naheem Hines, who of course was playing in relief of an injured Jonathan Taylor, Jackson produced a solid yet unspectacular 13.10 points during week 5. That likely factored into Jackson being mostly an afterthought for last week's round of waivers, but boy did he pay off for those willing to take a gamble once Taylor and Hines were ruled out on Saturday. Dion put up 28.10 points and left many Taylor owners wondering what might be if Matt Ryan would target the All-Pro 10 times when he returns to action. My dud of the week is Tyler Higby. Higby has been one of this season's prime examples of why you should gamble on tight ends late. Many owners snatched him off of waivers after a couple weeks of vulturing targets away from Allen Robinson. Yes, I am still bitter. Up to week six, Higby had been mostly the model of consistency. He had never scored below eight points and actually only had one single-digit outing, which was week one's disastrous game against the Bills, where he scored still a solid 8.9 points. Well, all good things must come to an end. In week six's matchup against Carolina, Higby only saw two targets, converting them into one catch for seven yards and 1.70 fantasy points, making him my dud of the week. Now with that, we're going to go ahead and move into our special segment of the week. And this one's going to be particularly fun. I'm, I'm really excited about this. We're titling it This or That. So Blake, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through two players, but I'm not going to tell you who they are. They were ranked similarly, so they're going to be around each other when it comes to rankings. And I just want to le- read off their stat lines, how they're doing so far this year. And a simple question is going to be, which one of these guys do you like for the rest of the year based on what you're seeing in the stats? And then I want you to take a guess about who they might be. How does that sound? It sounds like it's a challenge that's going to leave me very, very embarrassed in front of everyone that listens to this podcast. But I think it's an excellent idea, and I'm all for making myself look like a fool if it's all in the name of good content. Spectacular. Well, well, I'll give you a hint. We're going to start with the quarterbacks, okay? Now, if you thought it was another position group, we might need to have another conversation, and I might need to find another co-host. But we'll start with the quarterbacks. Okay, so my first player, okay? He's got 138 completions out of 188 attempts. That's good for a 73.4 completion percentage. He's passed for 1,502 yards, nine touchdowns, only two interceptions. On the rushing side of things, he's got 26 rushing attempts for 125 yards and a touchdown and no fumbles lost. Okay, so that's player A. Player B has 170 completions out of 257 attempts, so a lot more volume here. He's got a lower completion percentage. He's got 66.1 completion percentage. He's thrown for more yards. He's got 1,716 yards. He's got 10 touchdowns, has thrown three interceptions, and on the rushing end, he's very much lacking compared to player A. He has had 18 rushing attempts for 26 yards and no touchdowns, and he has lost one fumble. So, Question number one is, of these two stat lines, you've got the more accurate, the guy that's got a little bit more rushing upside versus the higher volume passer has got more yards, turned the ball over a couple more times with an extra interception, a fumble. So rest of season, would you rather have player A or player B? Yeah, I know rushing upside is really, really important when it comes to the quarterback position. That being said, 26 rush attempts for player A to 18 rush attempts for player B 
while that number seems or while that gap seems really big if you put that in perspective and you break it down to a per game basis you're looking at one and a third more rushing attempts for player a which is great you want that but you look at the passing attempts you have 188 passing attempts compared to 257 there's a much more significant gap in volume for the the passing volume yes you get a lot of points for rushing but quarterbacks still mostly make most of their fantasy production in the passing game Right, rushing touchdowns are worth six points in a lot of leagues, where passing touchdowns are worth four. Rushing yards are worth point zero point one points, while passing yards are worth was it point zero two five points per yard? Whatever the conversion of twenty five yards to a one point is. I can't do quick math in my head right now, so, and I'm it, it's bugging me because I I really don't know who these guys are are. Rushing yards are worth more per yard than passing yards are. But I just don't think that the volume in rushing is enough to offset the the volume in passing here, especially considering that both of them are not getting into the end zone on their rushing attempts. I think if you told me that player A had eight more rushing attempts and he was he had scored two or three touchdowns, whereas player B had 18 rushing attempts and didn't score any touchdowns, then I, I'd be much more likely to go with player A because that tells me that their coaching staff is scheming up runs, designed bootlegs, quarterback draws, something like that around the goal line. Like what you see happen for a Josh Allen or something that you'd see happen for Lamar Jackson. But clearly that's not what's going on here if we don't have any touchdowns for these players. So I'm going to take player B because of the passing volume and because I just don't know that player A has any designed plays that are going to really benefit him in the ground game i know who these guys are so i think personally i think you probably made a wise decision so i'll just go ahead and save you some stress there but i do want to hear who are your predictions who do you think player a is who do you think player b is oh man this is really tough i am gonna go out on a limb here and say that neither of these players are tom brady aaron Rodgers, or russell wilson don't uh, don't forget matthew stafford or matthew (laughs) that's right the, the always elusive Matthew Stafford. Player B, I think that's probably Justin Herbert, just because we know that the the Chargers have had a very high passing volume. We know that because of Austin Eckler's lack of production in the beginning of the season and the fact that a lot of Austin Eckler's points do come off of his receiving work. I know that people believe that Justin Herbert has huge rushing upside but we haven't necessarily really seen it yet he hasn't gone into the end zone it doesn't look like they're really designing things up for him over there Brandon Staley I guess is more focused on kind of that west coast offense spreading the ball from sideline to sideline and and letting Justin Herbert really rely on his arm so player b I'm going to go with Justin Herbert player a is throwing me for a little bit more of a loop someone who's more accurate you see 26 rushing attempts and you want to think that that's probably someone like a Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson or someone like that but as I've complained about on this podcast numerous times Kyler Murray has not rushed the way that I had hoped he would coming into the season so I'm going to rule him out there and based on your comments about player B being wiser than player A Based on the the high end and surprising fantasy production, which you mentioned you would take player B long term, I'm going to say player A is Geno Smith 
for the Seattle Seahawks. So so that I'm locking in that answer. Player A, Geno Smith. Player B, Justin Herbert. Very, very impressive. You are correct on both of those. So player A is Geno Smith. And I promise, I promise, I did not give like any hints here besides the one there. And you're not getting that on the running backs. But that's that's correct. Player A is Geno Smith. He's currently the QB7 in fantasy. And player B is Justin Herbert, who is currently the QB8 in fantasy. So great job, Mr. Watson. Really well done. I do agree. I would probably take player B here over player A. Just like that passing volume a lot more. But we'll move on and get no hints this time. So we're going to move on to running backs. Okay, so player A has 91 attempts for 490 rushing yards, which is 5.4 yards per attempt. He's had a long of 43 yards, so he's pretty explosive back. He's got three touchdowns on the ground through the year. To go along with that, he has 17 receptions on 18 targets for 129 yards, but no touchdowns. Okay. Player B, 104 attempts for 408 yards, which is 3.9 yards per attempt. Not really great below average there. He's had a long of only 24 yards, but he does have five touchdowns on the ground. Now, he only has 10 receptions on the year for 121 yards and no touchdowns. So comparison-wise, player A has been a lot more efficient. He's had a few less attempts, but he's got more rushing yards on it. So he's been more efficient with those, those touches. He seems to be a little bit more explosive. He's got a few touchdowns on the ground, but not as many as player B, who's punched it at him five times. Now, player A does have more receptions. He's caught a lot of those passes thrown his way. Looks like those attempts are, or those receptions aren't going for as long, though, with 17 receptions, 129 yards, versus 10 receptions, 121 yards. Player B has made some really good use out of those receptions when he's gotten them. Which player would you rather have for the rest of the season? Yeah, this one's a lot closer than I think the quarterback comparison because the volume numbers are are much more similar you know you're looking at about a 10 percent increase in rushing attempts for player b at 104 attempts to player a's 91 attempts and then you're looking at probably about a doing my super quick math here it's probably it's probably 120 percent increase in in targets for player a than it is for player b so really i think that those two probably cancel each other out that that is player a having 18 targets player b having 14 targets i'm gonna go ahead and take player a here the two metrics that i'm really looking at here are the efficiency per attempt in the rushing game where player a has 5.4 yards per attempt and player b has 3.9 yards per attempt i usually don't look at this stat because there's so many variables that go into it offensive line is one game script is another the explosiveness of the individual player we're looking at from year to year can vary so draft season i stay away from this stat but in season i think that this is actually a pretty sticky stat especially once you've had enough weeks of data to look at because this is your yards per attempt given those variables as constants or at least they should be constants throughout the year barring any kind of injury or suspensions or anything like that to some of the players that i just mentioned Another one I want to look at is touchdowns. Now, touchdown regression to the mean is something that I'm a big believer in in both draft season and during the season. So player A has three touchdowns so far. Player B has five touchdowns so far. I don't expect player B to end up putting up 15 to 20 touchdowns by the end of the year. 
while player A is only putting up 10 touchdowns, 10 to 12 touchdowns by the end of the year. I think that that should probably even out, and player A has the higher number of targets. Neither of them have touchdowns, so I'm going to go ahead and go with player A in this comparison, who has 91 attempts on the ground, 18 targets in the air, and three touchdowns, compared to player B, who has 104 rushing attempts, 14 targets through the air, and five touchdowns. Okay, so next up, who are these guys? Yeah, this is hard. Based on no receiving touchdowns, I'm going to guess that player A is Miles Sanders, who's currently playing in Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts is kind of infamous at this point for not throwing very many touchdowns. However, Miles Sanders has seen his fair share of touchdowns on the ground. And contrary to what people believed coming into the season, Kenny Gainwell and Boston Scott haven't played that much of a role, so he has had the lion's share of carries. I don't think that 91 attempts is too outrageous. The only area where I think I may have gone awry and overlooked is 18 targets. I don't know that Miles Sanders has seen 18 targets on the year, but that just off the top of my head, that's the best guess that I can give you. Player B is really throwing me for a loop. I don't know who would have five touchdowns with a long of only 24 yards. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to use the 104 rushing attempts as my indicator for who to guess just a ton of volume and I'm actually going to pick someone who has not started every game this season but is still in an offense where they would get 104 rushing attempts without starting in the first game I'm going to go Jeff Wilson for player B now I'm not confident in either player A or player B but I'm going to lock in those answers well I am very excited to tell you that you are wrong on both so player A is Josh Jacobs. So you would you would take Josh Jacobs for the rest of the season. That was your pick. Well, who's player B? Well, pa- player B, of course, is Derrick Henry. His long is only 24 yards? Are you serious? Yes. Player B is Derrick Henry. He's had a much longer... or He caught a screen pass and took it like 70 yards. That's why he has 10 receptions for 120 yards. His long for the year is actually a super long pass that he caught and took a screen, but he didn't score on it. But yeah, player B is Derrick Henry, who's currently sitting at RB8 in PPR scoring, and player A is Josh Jacobs, who is currently sitting at RB7 in PPR scoring. Well, as sad as that may seem just based off of those names, I'm not so convinced that I would take Derrick Henry over Josh Jacobs. I, I think that this is actually a push for me. Just looking at the volume that Josh Jacobs is getting, We know he's a talented runner. He's been a talented runner since he's come into the NFL. And the thing is, with this Raiders offense, is people have been calling for Josh Jacobs to be a workhorse back, and Las Vegas has never given him the opportunity. Well, guess what? The opportunity's here, and he looks incredible. Small sample size, I understand that. But that's not something that I'm necessarily getting ready to go ahead and move Josh Jacobs for. Now, if you came to me today and offered me Derrick Henry for Josh Jacobs straight up, I would take Derrick Henry, but I would not have a very, very strong feeling about it because if you look at this Tennessee offense, it is abysmal. The Tennessee offense is horrible to watch. I mean, I think the Broncos and the Colts game kind of took a lot of flack away from this team. They can't throw the ball to save their lives. Ryan Tannehill looks like he should be in a retirement home. Derrick Henry, I mean, God bless the man. He is superhuman, and yes, he is the king of the running backs, King Henry. I will admit to that. 
He's doing everything he can, but without offensive line help, without a passing game, how much longer can he keep it up? You know, I know Derrick Henry puts wear and tear on defenders throughout the season, but it's not crazy to think that maybe this year, with the amount of abuse he's taking and the lack of help he's getting, that it could go the other way around where defenses wear and tear Derrick Henry down and he's the one in December who's only averaging two yards a carry as opposed to years past where he's averaging four plus. Very fair points. Now, just to give your your other picks some justice here, you were really close with Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders is actually the RB10 right now on the season. And you, you brought this point up. He has been targeted 13 times. He has 11 receptions. So Miles get a little bit of work in the, the passing game. However, Jeff Wilson was a bit lower. He's RB23 right now. So a little bit further off there. But overall, very, very impressive. You still were pretty close with Miles. And what y'all don't know is, because I'm going to edit this out of the audio, but Blake actually got Josh Jacobs after he made the Miles Sanders pick. So I will give him a little bit of credit here. He didn't quite get that one 100% wrong. Thank you. I, I I appreciate I appreciate the little behind the scenes that that makes me look at least a little bit more respectable. Well, unfortunately, the difficulty only rises from here because this next one for wide receivers, these players are, are really, really similar. So it's going to be really tough for you. I, I think if you if you nail this one, I'm going to be really impressed. OK, we've got player A. They've got 31 receptions on 55 targets for 348 yards, which is good for 11.2 yards per reception. They have a long of 42 yards and four touchdowns through the air, and they have accumulated no rushing statistics so far in the year. Player B, 33 receptions, so two more receptions than player A. They have had 60 targets, so five more targets there. Have more yards, though. They have 409 yards, which makes their yards per reception 12.4. They've had a long of 30 yards, but only two touchdowns through the air on the year. They have been a little bit involved in the rushing game, not too much. They have carried the ball three times for 15 yards. So rest of season, do you like player A or player B better? Is there a caveat that these players are all top 10 at their positions? They're not all top 10. They're near that, though. Okay, so so they're relatively close. So this isn't going to be something obscure where I get Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf as player A, player B. Okay. Okay. I I didn't I didn't think you would go you know way away from the the high end fantasy producers for this this or that segment, but I just wanted to clarify because that would be one heck of a curveball to throw me two receivers on the same team. Looking at who I want when it comes to receivers, I'm really not worried about the rushing production. So we see player B has three rushing attempts to player A zero rushing attempts. That doesn't really mean anything to me. Sure, you have teams where like Tyreek Hill, for example, on the Chiefs would break reverse sweeps and he would take them 60 yards for a touchdown. You know, carrying the ball three times for 15 yards, these are obviously either jet sweep plays or wildcat plays where it's not really any kind of trick play designed to get these players easy touchdowns. It's just kind of something to mix up the the running game, maybe give the running back a break, maybe give a quarterback a break. I'm staying away from rushing statistics when deciding which receivers I want. So that makes my decision really easy, and I'm going to take the volume here. Player A has 55 targets, 31 receptions. Player B has 60 targets, 33 receptions, both numbers being higher for player B, not to mention player B's yardage is higher, 409 yards to player A's 345. 
The only real difference is player B only has two touchdowns. Player A has four touchdowns. We talked about this earlier. I am a big believer in regression to the mean. Maybe player A has just had more targets around the goal line than player B has to this point in the season. Maybe that's subject to change. So go ahead, give me player B for the rest of the season. As for who these players are, look, there are so many receivers in the league. It it makes this very difficult. You know, I thought this, the deck was stacked against me with the running backs. I think that it's a very, very, very long shot that I even come close to getting these players correct. Player A, I'm going to go ahead and go with C.D. Lamb. Along of 42 yards, four touchdowns, three, or I regret that as I'm saying it, because Cooper Rush had that game against the Rams where there was not much scoring involved, although Cooper Rush has leaned on C.D., to this point in the season, Dak didn't throw anything to CD in that opener against Tampa Bay. So I'm I'm already regretting my player A pick. My player B pick, I'm going to go with CD Lamb's former teammate and current Cleveland Brown, Amari Cooper, who the long of 30 yards, that's kind of fitting for having Jacoby Brissett as your quarterback. I know that Amari has at least two touchdowns, a minimum of two touchdowns. There's a chance I got these two players backwards, but I think one is CeeDee Lamb and one is Amari Cooper. You do have them backwards. Player A is Amari Cooper. Player B is CeeDee Lamb. That's wildly impressive. That's wildly impressive. Yep, yep. Really great job there. Amari Cooper is currently the wide receiver 11 in PPR scoring, and CD is wide receiver 12. So former teammates... Kind of a fun one, but great job. I'll, I'll, I'll give you like 12% of the credit there because you got it backwards. And for those of you listening at home, I cannot stress to you enough how true this is. I am There are no statistics that I'm looking at on any kind of fantasy platform, Sleeper, ESPN, nothing like that. So I'm, I'm reading this off of a Google Doc right now. That's all that's, all that's there. Okay, we've got one test left for you, Mr. Watson, and that's going to be the tight ends. So player A, we've got 26 receptions on 34 targets for 357 yards. That is 13.7 yards per reception. They've got a long of 31 yards and one touchdown. They have no recorded rushing stats and no fumbles lost. Player B, 27 receptions on 35 targets for 347 yards. Good for 12.9 yards per reception, a long of 38 yards and one touchdown. They've recorded one rushing attempt for negative six yards, and they've lost one fumble. So these guys are super, super close. So same questions. Who would you want for the rest of the season, and who do you think these guys are? This one really is a coin flip. Not knowing who these guys are, I, I couldn't really pick for you. So I would likely just take whichever player has the better quarterback. We had to save the hardest one for last. My player A, man, these are tough. I, I'm going to guess Dallas Goddard for the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, you have 34 targets through six weeks. You're looking at just below six targets per game. I know that Jalen Hurts definitely likes throwing the ball to Dallas Goddard, so that's definitely believable. One touchdown. I know Goddard has at least one touchdown. I can't remember if he has more than that, and I don't recall Dallas Goddard having any kind of rush attempt or fumbling the ball this season. I'm going to lock player A in as Dallas Goddard. Player B, what's really throwing me for a loop here is the rush attempt. 
as far as rushing attempts go, I think it would either be some kind of fluke play or you would have to give it to some guy who is enough of an athlete to trust him with the ball. Obviously, he fumbled. That's a mistake on the part of whoever decided to give him the rushing attempt. I'm going to kind of go with one of the more forgotten names in the NFL right now, or at least this season. And I'm going to take Darren Waller as my player B, which means if I'm picking between player A being Dallas Goddard and player B being Darren Waller, I'm going to go ahead and take Dallas Goddard because I think that the Philadelphia offense is better than the Las Vegas offense, especially with Devontae Adams potentially being suspended. I know you can make the argument that Derek Carr is a better passer than Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has not been a bad passer this year. And if that Philadelphia offense is going to continue to score at the rate that we saw through the first four weeks of the season and week six as well, I guess, then I think Dallas Goddard is a prime candidate for touchdown regression to the mean, meaning he would have more than one touchdown in the next six weeks, you know, maybe two or three. So so I think player A is Dallas Goddard, and I'm going to lock him in as my pick over Darren Waller. All right. Well, you are absolutely correct. Player A is Dallas Goddard. Well done there. He is currently the tight end four in PPR scoring. However, you are 100% wrong on player B. It is not Darren Waller. Uh, Darren Waller has been pretty pretty rough this year, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's checking in at tight end 20 on the year. So not not really close there. But the, the big shocker here is player B is David Njoku. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot he has been having a really good season. I thought he had more than one touchdown. Nope, just one one so far right now, but he is tight end six on the year. So a little bit separating those guys. The The guy in between them would be TJ Hawkinson. So pretty pretty close though. I'm, I'm overall, Mr. Watson, I'm pretty impressed with your ability to name these players blindly. We're going to give you a solid B for below average. No, I'm kidding. It was, it was pr- pretty acceptable if I had to, if I had to put, you know, some, some vocabulary there, but that is going to do it. And, and just for, just for our listeners at home, I would take D- Dallas Goddard rest of season over David Njoku. No questions asked. That's fairly wise. I'll, I'll give you that one. But you are still stuck with Josh Jacobs. Just remember that. King Henry's going to get rolling. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll check back in, in six weeks, and we'll, we'll see how we feel about that. Yeah, well, that's going to do this until our next this or that segment. I really enjoyed this, Blake. I thought this was a lot of fun. I think this is probably one we should bring back for future episodes. Yeah, I, I definitely think it was. I think we put you under the gun next time. I have to say, this was a brain stretcher for me. Those of you listening at home, it was not as brief as you heard on this audio. I spent a lot of time stretching my brain, really thinking about them before I gave these answers. So while it sounds like I am a consummate professional, I am, but I'm just not as quick of a consummate professional as it as this podcast makes it sound so we'll go ahead and before we get you out of here give you our best play and fade of the week going into week seven so checking in last week i picked Ramondre stevenson to be my play of the week he definitely delivered he had 25.1 fantasy points as we mentioned earlier in the stud segment he took the workhorse role and didn't give anything to anyone else in that patriots backfield as long as damien harris is out i think you can expect that moving forward 
So I'm currently 2-1-2 and two on my plays of the week. RJ picked Jeff Wilson last week. He did not score a single fantasy point. I don't think we need to rehash that. We talked about in the duds of the week. RJ is currently 2-3-0 and zero on his plays of the week. So really, when it comes to picking a good play of the week, it's kind of a tie. Um, I don't really count ties as wins. So we, we both have given you two good plays of the week through six weeks. Do with that information what you will. My best play for week seven is going to be Romeo Dobbs for the Green Bay Packers. So as of the day of recording, Randall Cobb is currently injured. He kind of plays that uh, safety blanket role for Aaron Rodgers. Well, with Cobb being out, someone's going to have to step into that role. I think the three prime candidates are Alan Lazard, Robert Tanyan, and Romeo Dobbs. And I think that we're kind of going to see the preseason hype of Romeo Dobbs fully flourish this upcoming week. I think that Romeo Dobbs is not only going to play the safety blanket role, but I think he has a prime chance for a breakout game against a horrible, horrible Washington secondary. So look for him to get an upage in targets, and if he can make good on those targets, he'll gain the trust of Aaron Rodgers, not only for the rest of the season, but more specifically throughout the course of the game, and he'll be the go-to receiver for Aaron Rodgers. I'm hoping he gets into the end zone. Every week I tell you to look for someone to get into the end zone. They don't, with the exception of Ramondre Stevenson. So I'm just going to tell you to have hope, have hope. RJ, who's your play of the week? All right, I'm bringing back one of my my former darlings of fantasy football, Mr. Ezekiel Elliott. Remember the days when Zeke was a must-start asset week in and week out? Unfortunately for Elliott owners, those days are long gone. To Zeke's credit, he's been solid this year. You can depend on a 60% plus snap share and roughly 15 touches every week. And last week, we saw some flashes of vintage Zeke when he went for 6.23 yards per carry and a touchdown against a really strong Philadelphia front. I believe Elliott will keep the ball rolling this week as the Cowboys not only get Dak Prescott back from injury, but also draw a paper-thin matchup against the Detroit Lions, who have seeded 5.5 yards per carry and 10 touchdowns to opposing backs so far this year. It's time to get Zeke into your lineups if he's not there already. Now we'll move on to our fades of the week. Last week, Blake, you correctly identified Taysom Hill as being a fade of the week. He scored only 4.54 fantasy points, so you are now 2-0 in this category. Way to go. Heck yeah. I, I just have to ask about Taysom Hill. I, I Not about his performance. Can you imagine spending $25 on Taysom Hill to have him put up less than five points this week? With Jameis Winston not even playing, could you imagine? It's such a it's such a weird one because it's like Taysom Hill is gonna go off again this year. You just know it. It's like he's gonna be on your bench when you do it. You can't start the guy. He's not consistent. No, he's he's not gonna be on your bench. You know where he's gonna be? The waiver wire. He's gonna be back on the waiver wire when he does it again. And then guess what? Someone's gonna spend twenty five dollars on him again. Probably the same guy, if I had to guess. All right, come on now. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. He may not have $20 left. I mean, he threw down like $5 for Matt Ryan this week. So it's all going out the window. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a little inside baseball for the professional football league there. All right. Well, my fate of the week last week was Tyler Algier. He scored 5.10 fantasy points. So that gets me into the win, win column. I am now one in one following that Josh Jacobs debacle. 
But we're going to keep it rolling this week, hopefully. I am fading DK Metcalf this week. Okay, I know it probably seems like I have beef with DK after all the talking I've done this year, but hear me out, okay? Mike Williams is six foot four, 218 pounds, and was absolutely blanketed last week by Patrick Sertain. DK Metcalf is also six foot four. He is a little heavier. He's 235 pounds, but he and Williams are in an incredibly similar build, and I expect Metcalf to get the same defensive attention from Sertan this week, and that will likely result in a lower level performance from Metcalf. Blake, who's your fate of the week? My fate of the week is a player I actually really like season long, and that's Brees Hall for the New York Jets. I know we mentioned him as a buy low on the episode the other week. However, this week he plays against the Denver defense. Say what you will about Denver and the absolute slog fest of games that they've played in primetime this year, but their defense is a top-tier defense in the NFL, especially against the run. I think that this game will be low scoring. I think that the secondary will take away all options for Zach Wilson and the Jets will become one-dimensional. When they become one-dimensional, I don't think that there's any way that you can beat this Denver defense. I think you have to be able to take care of business in the air and on the ground to have a chance for any kind of fantasy production for your players. We've seen Denver shut down so many offenses. I think that the New York Jets will fall victim to that again. I also want to point out, if you currently roster Brees Hall, this may be a sell-high opportunity if you need wins in the immediate future. Because not only does Brees Hall play Denver this week, but then the next four weeks after this game, he has New England. That's in New York, right? He has New England. Then he plays against Buffalo in New York. Then he has a bye week. Then he plays against New England at Gillette Stadium. So I'm not really feeling good about this whole five-game stretch, even if he does produce well against the Broncos. If you need wins now, I consider moving on from Brees Hall. Maybe look for someone that can get you some immediate fantasy production because I think that Brees Hall is going to be stifled for the next five, four or five games of the season. And with that, we'll conclude our podcast Good luck this week in all of your matchups, and we look forward to seeing you again next week on the Challenge Flag Podcast.